Hello, and welcome to the podcast version of Two Rabbis And. My name is Dan Kamen, and I'm a rabbi at Congregation B'nai Amuna in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Alongside my colleague, Rabbi Mark Boone Fitzerman, I host regular live conversations featuring guest speakers whose work, stories, and messages are worthy of our attention. We speak with doctors and teachers, agency heads and cultural critics, all with the hope of bringing new ideas and unique perspectives to our community and beyond. For more information about the synagogue in our community here in Tulsa, visit tulsagog.com. If you like these recordings, consider subscribing to our feed. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Friends, welcome and Shabbat Shalom. Rabbi Kamen and I are glad to be with you this evening. Our guest is Toby Jenkins, one of the great friends of the synagogue. And Toby has lots to say in his role as a local LGBTQ plus activist, as executive director, outgoing executive director of the Dennis R. Neal Equality Center, and an acute observer of the local political and social scene. We're very glad, Toby, that you could be with us. I know that you've done interviews like this for many years. I've interviewed you on occasion, and I have always been taken by your own life story and what you have to say. I, I wonder if I could begin, and Rabbi Kamen and I will be bouncing back and forth with questions this Arab Shabbat, this Shabbat evening, but I wonder if you could give us a sense of the role that Tulsa has played in LGBTQ life over maybe the last 50 years, maybe even longer. If I have an impression, it's that Tulsa has served as a kind of magnet for people who grew up in different parts of Oklahoma and who needed a place to stretch themselves from the point of view of their social lives, their lives in society, and that it was not exactly a safe place to do that, but safer, say, than small-town Oklahoma. How far back does organized LGBTQ life go in Tulsa? Do we know anything about what it was like at its point of origin? At what point can we say that there was an organized community, even if it was informally organized? I think what I'm asking you to describe is the history, to the extent that we can describe it, of gay life in Tulsa. Yeah. And so... Um, what I'll need both of my good friends here to do, both of these rabbis who I love dearly, and I will tell you this, I've called upon y'all for many times uh, for crisis situations and just I needed good friends. And so thank you both for um, just being available to me personally and uh, my spiritual journey and my family's needs, but also serving Tulsa Um I, I, you know, I always joke and say, if we were in a bar fight, I'd want both of you in there with me. And uh, so I know none of us are going to ever end in a bar fight, get in a bar fight, but I, that's how much confidence I have in both of you. Um, so 
couple of highlights that sometimes are not emphasized enough. Uh, we actually have documents that tell us uh, that there were LGBTQ persons. Um, here has early of the forced removal of the Cherokee Nation. Uh, we have records going back to that that we know uh, that our two-spirit, um, which would be LGBTQ persons, gender variant persons among the Cherokee Nation, they were some of the care, hospice caregivers and some of the folks who buried the dead that were brought here and died on the Trail of Tears. And then among the Cherokee Nation, there's not much uh, more information than that. We do have documents from that period. So I guess it'd be safe to say that at removal, when um, Southern tribes were being removed here to what was then called Indian Territory, we know that we were here and we were brought here. Uh, then of, because of assimilation and conversion, uh, that uh, we don't have much more from that. But we do have from the early founding of the city, um, we actually have historical records that talk about the presence of uh, lesbian and gay men who uh, lived in the area and where they were represented in the roles they played. I mean, the Tulsa skyline was influenced by Bruce Goff, who was an, an openly gay man and was head of the School of Architecture at the University of Oklahoma, was fired in 1955, um, uh, associated with his sexuality. Um, Lynn Riggs, if you were to do research on uh, the society pages in some of our old newspapers, uh, when the oil barons would have cotillions, they would uh, discuss who was going to be in attendance, and they would brag about Lynn Riggs, who was a celebrated playwright responsible for what you and I know as the Broadway musical, Oklahoma. This should never surprise anybody that there are a bunch of LGBT people in Oklahoma. We're the only state in the country that has a, a musical named after us. And so that's always a good clue that we're, we're here and we're queer and we were influencing your music. And uh, so we know that those individuals lived in the Tulsa area or visited Tulsa on a regular basis, and their sexuality was not something really hid, may not have been discussed openly, but it wasn't ignored, and it wasn't like they were secretive or in the closet. Um, in the early 1950s, shortly after World War II, we do have archives from that period where um, the Medicine Society uh, there was a chapter in Tulsa. It was pretty significant in the organizing of, of uh, LGBT people, lesbian and gay people across the country because um, the folks that were in our chapter in the Tulsa area had more substantial earning power uh, jobs. So they kind of were funding what was happening in uh, maybe larger urban areas, but uh, the Organizers in those other cities didn't have the good solid jobs associated with the oil industry. So we have those records um, in 1955. Uh, apparently, the first deputy sheriff, female deputy sheriff in Tulsa County, she was one of the founders of that group. Um, so that was kind of cool that we have her visibility in those minutes from that period. We have records of whenever um, uh, 
what we would call drag queens uh, would come and perform at some of our old convention centers um, that uh, there would, they would have sellout crowds and even get marriage proposals uh, from oil fill workers. So figure that all out and what that meant. We know that in the 60s, there were lots of attempts to create community. Uh, and then in the 70s, right after Stonewall, we began to have kind of little small pride picnics at some of the parks. Uh, sometimes those had um, so kind of some, you know, some uh, police harassment and some uh, the city was embarrassed by those. There were early organizers um, in the early 70s. Um, that uh, some of those organizers were students who were from Tulsa, ended up at OU and wanted to have a, a queer campus group. And the, the uh, University of Oklahoma told them they couldn't. That went all the way to the Oklahoma Supreme Court. Uh, and that was in the early 70s. And then Dennis Neal and several of his friends began to organize what you and I know today, 42 years later, as uh, Oklahomans for Equality and the Dennis Arnell Equality Center. So we know historically we've been here from the founding of the city, predated it, and we have those records. So we've always kind of been here, uh, but it's not always been a warm, welcoming place. Now, an unusual phenomena is we have a lot of people who lived here but never really went to the East Coast or West Coast. And it's not because those large urban cities were safer for us safe would not be the best word. Uh, they were, we were able to be invisible there. We could just blend in and hide just because of the size of the population. But in Tulsa, there were a lot of folks who chose not to leave because of good solid employment, uh, in the oil business, um, and a lot of professional careers. So it was kind of better financially for them to stay here. Um, and we do have this phenomena right now. We have a ton of people who are returning who did leave and now they're coming home. Um, so that's kind of been a nice thing. Uh, the sparrows are returning to Capistrano and <laughs> they, they are coming home from other places um, because I think Tulsa, is certainly improving and trying to be a better place. It's certainly a better place than the state overall and certainly does not reflect um, the attitude of uh, the majority of the state legislature, certainly the present governor. It is true, uh, Rabbi Fitzman, you did mention, it is kind of a, a hub where lots of people who've lived in rural Oklahoma um, have moved uh, to Tulsa um, to find community. That is a that is a very common feature. Um, I know a lot of the LGBTQ older adults that I know that are my age. Many of them grew up in small town Oklahoma, mm. and so they ended up in Tulsa. Um, would, I wouldn't say we were a mecca, but we were absolutely a place where you knew you could find community. And we've become more visible. And the city of Tulsa has certainly become uh, more comfortable with our presence. 
Toby, that's such a useful and helpful frame for this conversation to, to think about the community hasn't having always been here and uh, some of the characteristics of what it means to be part of the, um, the, the Equality Center in this way. Um, one of the questions I think about or, or have for you is uh, regarding the diversity of the LGBTQ community. Um, there are, I'm always struck every year when we gather for the uh, the memorial service, the amount of faith traditions that come together in, in that setting. I'm struck by the variety of identities which are represented and come together in uh, the Equality Center itself. I mean, for lack of a better term, maybe we would call those cohorts that um, live with live underneath that umbrella. Um, how do you create community in a world uh, of 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 incredible diversity in the way uh, that I assume the LGBTQ uh, community experiences it? Um, having done this for some time, um, are there best practices? What's how do you how do you how do you go about thinking about diversity and community and the balance between those two? Uh, that's an excellent question. And, um, I'm, I'm still trying to grow up in that area. I just want you to know, I'm still trying to improve my processes. So I really don't have, um, please don't anybody follow my example on how to do this because I can give you the list of how we, you know, how I and others have really failed miserably at, uh, inclusion. Uh, and that's, that's the, component I would add to that, how can we always include more people and, and more individuals um, who may be ignored, overlooked, or may not be as easily defined as, say, I define myself. Um, it is absolutely uh, a true uh, that the LGBTQ community, especially in Tulsa, is very diverse, made up of multiple racial identities, uh, religious affiliations, even politically. I mean, everybody just assumes we're all super progressive or liberal, and that is not the case. <laughs> uh, we are very diverse politically. Um, we cover all the age span, um, and that's been one of the things we've had to really develop at the Equality Center is programming that was geared from cradle to grave. And of course, in our situation, we even had to accommodate people's deaths because um, maybe their families, when at the time of their death, refused to acknowledge their gender identity or they refused to acknowledge um, a departed person's spouse. And if we had not had memorial services uh, for them where they uh, used the name that they were known by, um, addressed them in the gender identity that they were uh, as you know, they had, uh, accepted as their, for themselves. If we did not point out in our obituaries who their spouses were, um, many times those are not even included, um, in families obituaries because the surviving family usually is writing those obituaries. So we even say cradle and your, your death. We had to create an ability to, acknowledge its diversity. Every, uh, uh, probably, I, I would say every month, 
our staff and board are grappling with um, our understanding of who's being excluded intentionally and unintentionally. And so there constantly has to be evaluation. Um, and many times when you're trying to be more expansive and inclusive and trying to make more space for people, um, you accidentally step on somebody else's space or you cancel out somebody else's identity or you ignore. I'm going to give you an example. Um, most of us are pretty familiar with LGBTQ plus or LGBTQ or LGBT. Um, that comes from, and, and, and I would like to meet the person who finally decided somewhere 40, 50 years ago, we're going to refer to this population using different letters. I would like to meet that person and maybe punch them in the nose because it really, <laughs> it really has created um, quite a, you know, the, the desire was to acknowledge its diversity, um, but at the same time, they were trying to, you know, use acronym uh, to define that. And so it's amazing to me of how many times I see additional letters and how they're situated and how they're lined out. And so, and it's, it's confusing to me and it's confusing to others, but the goal that is not confusing, we're trying to make sure we're acknowledging uh, everybody that's here. And so an example is our organization has been around for, you know, 42 years. Right now, uh, we're uh, uh, number three as one of the oldest LGBT rights organizations in the entire world, um, which is always a surprise to people. But that's because LGBTQ people fight like cats. And so we have trouble holding our organizations together because we would rather turn on each other than work for common collective good. And I know that's familiar to lots of different common marginalized communities. Uh, so the reason that we're this, we've been around this long, the miracle of it is that we've been able to hold it together uh, that long. And that's because there were good solid people who've been here from the very beginning who were committed to include others. So here's where I'm headed with this story. About four years ago, maybe even five, um, younger people wanted to identify as queer. And so our membership got the opportunity uh, to literally vote on changing our mission statement, uh, not its, its goal or its mission, but to change the phrasing to add lesbian, you know, we already had lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, but to add the word queer because there were individuals who that better framed them. They identified uh, as queer um, and did not feel like that lesbian, gay, or bisexual, or transgender truly reflected them. And most of these, to be honest, were younger people um, who decided to, you know, they call it, we're going to repurpose or we're going to um, reclaim the word queer. Um, our organization almost split over adding that additional letter. 
<laughs> because in those public meetings, those membership meetings, you had younger people crying and saying, you don't recognize me, you don't see me, and we want to, um, we want to add the letter queer. We had older um, gay persons, lesbian persons, um, bisexual persons who were saying queer was the word they used to beat me up. It's the word they used to isolate me, to reject me. And you're wanting me to say that you can call me queer. And um, it was a very controversial thing. And we had lots of younger people who were lecturing older people. How they were not getting it, not understanding it, um, and being insensitive. And it was just an awareness that we had in our own organization that the intergenerational discussion and the perception of things <clears throat> was really um, hard to grasp because people were coming from different perspectives and we got through it. We added the Q and, you know, it's lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer. And then rather than adding additional acronyms, because we thought, well, this will never, where's the end of this and how are you going to keep up with all of this? Um, we just chose to add plus, which is kind of common for other organizations. So the diversity of it requires lots of discussions and acknowledgements. If you visit the center, um, the Equality Center, you're going to walk in. First thing you're going to see to the left is our Pride gift store. And um, it's not just because it's a revenue stream for us, because it, it is, but it's not a substantial revenue stream. But our purpose is to make sure that when people walk in there, they see their self. And so we will say... Um, uh, if you step in that store along the, the um, we have a display that we constantly are adding additional flags that are flags associated with people's different uh, gender identities, their different sexual orientations. And so uh, we are on a regular basis adding those flags. And there's a little thing there that tells you. And so I always tell individuals billing you know, visiting the center and they look in the store and we say, okay, we have all of these flags, which represent different identities, but we have a flag, a t-shirt, a button, a tag, a, you know, a cup, a bumper sticker so that people can see themselves here. So it's always incredibly inspiring to me when somebody walks in and they see their identity in there, they see their flag and they feel immediately affirmed but at the same time, they have this sense, you thought of us. And so that's always inspirational to me. But then associated with those flags, I always make sure people knows this. We have a support group for that flag. And because we have a support group for that flag, we have to create some social programming for individuals who identify that way. So I always use this as an, you know, an example. Our bisexual support group, they have bike rides. Our pansexual support group has pancake breakfast. And so we just try to create some social programming 
so that everybody uh, feels sane and included. And if I can, if I could just add one little more perception of this to show you how uh, how healthy the discussion is, but also show you how critical it is that we're having the discussions about the diversity of the human family. Um, our organization also went through an incredibly difficult time when the rainbow flag uh, began to be modified and adding the, the brown and the black stripes and then the pink and the white because there wasn't enough acknowledgement. And so there were lots of older folks who felt like we were messing with history because the diversity of the flag it already had six stripes. Now, originally it had seven and it had a pink stripe originally. And that the seven colors were specifically to emphasize how diverse. And it was its emphasis was that this is the diversity of the movement. And yet it took a lot of uh, public hearings, lots of conversations, lots of committee meetings to emphasize that there were still people in our community who identified as LGBTQ, but they did not feel recognized or reflected because we were not recognizing their racial identities or emphasizing enough uh, the presence of gender expansive, gender diverse individuals. So our organization, um, we just jumped in the deep end of the pool about uh, three or four years ago and decided that the standard flag that would fly over the Equality Center, the one that will be blessed at the Tulsa Pride Interfaith Service, which will be at John Hope Franklin Park on um, June the 20th, and um, where somebody from your congregation will be representing uh, B'nai Amuna. Um the standard flag that we fly is what's called the progress flag, which has the black and brown stripes and has the uh, pink and the uh, white colors folded in to um, acknowledge that there is more diversity in our community. Um, this is Pride Month, so we have lots of people coming to buy flags. And it's funny, the conversations and the different dynamics We've noticed that rural rural people uh, come in just assuming there's only one pride flag and they're looking for that pride flag and they don't even they're not even aware of the progress flag because maybe that's not a discussion they're having in Ponca City or Tahlequah or Altus, Oklahoma. Um, so we still kind of carry both of them, um, but at the same time. You know, there was some there was some tension from some individuals. I think you've said I think you've said something really interesting that the the community works hard to affirm diversity, but it also has the ability con 
to contain some of these tensions and to underscore a kind of fundamental unity and that that's wired into the DNA of local LGBTQ plus life. Are there other ways that you would describe this community despite its diversity? Are there other ways that you would describe it and say, in a way different from other uh, parallel communities might define themselves. I spent some time this past week in Oklahoma City, and it reminded me that I used to think a lot about the differences between Oklahoma City and Tulsa and where I would really like to live my Oklahoma life. There are profound differences between the Jewish communities in both of those places. Can you do a little compare? A quick compare and contrast exercise for us. What you would find, say, in Kansas City that you wouldn't find in Tulsa and vice versa. Choose a community. Well, Kansas City is bigger than we are, but choose a community that you might know from the inside. And can you describe some of the differences between what you see here from your perch and what you might see elsewhere? It's funny you chose the word from my perch. Um, I usually see myself as uh, it um, me not on the top looking out over it. I usually see that I'm underneath it trying to um, hold it up and, and move it. Uh, okay, so an example is um, I have this silly story I tell. Um, we, we, I always joke and I said, there's East coast, East coast gays and there's West coast gays and we're prairie gays in the middle of the country, or I'll describe us as the gay Oreo. And I always say, you know, you've got both sides of the cookie on an Oreo and then you always have the cream filling and ours is double stuffed, uh, point to myself, um, there really is a regional difference. There's an urban difference. There's certainly a difference between the northern communities and the southern communities. But even in the state of Oklahoma, uh, just like there's an incredible um, complex uniqueness to your community and the Tulsa community, it is definitely that way. Uh, for LGBTQ persons in Oklahoma. Kansas City is certainly close enough that there would be that. The diversity just over in Fayetteville um, is Fayetteville, Arkansas. Um, there Now, here's, here's something that I want to emphasize. They are incredibly diverse and different, but about everywhere you go, you're going to find the common things. And the reason I know this is about four, I've traveled around the world, but four or five years ago, maybe four years now, I had an opportunity to travel to uh, take a trip. We went to Israel, um, France, Turkey, uh, some other countries. And um, because I was there, I was there, I wasn't their only gay, but I was the token gay. We made sure that we found LGBT life for Tulsa community leaders uh, to see. And I was astounded when I walked into the um, LGBT center in Jerusalem um, that uh, it was the first time I'd ever been able to visit 
an LGBT center in, in Israel. I've been to Israel multiple times, but that was the first time I was able to be there as an openly gay man. And I walked into the LGBT center in Jerusalem and I was struck at how much it felt like the equality center, almost the same identical programs, lots of the same flags, lots of the same messaging on the wall. And then it had a list of all of the, uh, uh, support groups. And what was such a blessing to me is there were support groups from those from Orthodox traditions. There were support groups for Palestinian persons and Muslim persons and people from, you know, Christian different groups, the diversity, they had the same thing of the, but they were trying to make sure. And it was set. And I just sat and wept and, um, was so astounded by that how much it was the same, um, you know, because I was visiting their little community center and how much I felt at home there. Um, so there's going to be so much similar in those, you know, you're going most most cities of any size, you're going to find some gay bars and some gay districts. Um, most in, in, in the U.S. specifically, most cities of a certain size um, size of Tulsa, they're going to all have a gay men's course and a lesbian course, and maybe even have a transgender course. They're all going to have, um, gay softball leagues and gay bowling leagues. Um, almost all of, uh, cities in the U S of that size. So there's multiple ways that the people in that community have figured out a way to create uh, connections and help people be able to be around each other for social support and, you know, finding religious support or community support. Kind of the difference between us and some other places is there has been such a strong commitment to the founders of our organization 42 years ago, Dennis Neal and multiple, we have over a hundred people who are still alive, actively involved in our organization after 40 years. Um, we recently had our quality gala and had 16 of our former board presidents in the room. So there's still a heavy involvement. So I, I have the beautiful opportunity of lots of times asking them, what were y'all thinking? <laughs> you know, how in the world did you hold this together all these years? And um, they've always told me, we've always had trauma. In other words, the state and its sanctioned, you know, state sanctioned discrimination has always been present all 42 years. We've also always had drama uh, because we're always struggling with each other. Uh, so they said the trauma and the drama have always been there, but there's always been a core commitment of people who said we can do more together. Now that's going to be the difference between us and Oklahoma City. The Oklahoma City LGBTQ community is probably twice the size of the Tulsa community, uh, but they have struggled and struggled to be able to just have a community center. I mean, this is Pride Month in Oklahoma, and in Oklahoma City, there will be two different pride parades. <laughs> That's fascinating. Uh, and, and it's not because of the size, it's because um, of the the unwillingness to build consensus. So there have been an element of people 
in the Tulsa LGBTQ community who had this deep perception, we can do more together, we're safer together, we can't all get our way, we need to really focus on consensus and what we can all agree on and let's focus on that. And what we created was this you know, center at 621 East 4th Street and it now sits on Pride Street in downtown Tulsa and um, serves uh, about 70,000 people who many of them drive three hours uh, from all over the region to access services that they can only find at the center. We were able to do that because we chose to do it together and ignore our differences. We didn't ignore them, but work through our differences. And we tried to find things that we could build consensus. That is the difference. Kansas City does not have a center. Uh, Fayetteville has a small center. Um, and they just now hired their first executive director. Memphis, Tennessee has a pretty vibrant center. It's pretty small. I mean, ours is one of the larger um, but the fact that they've been able to hold it together all these years. Um, so the unit, the unified community is um, probably the thing that will stand out the most when you visit from city to city. <laughs> uh, when I first came out almost 25 years ago, Tulsa had 25 gay bars. We now have three. <laughs> and um, the culture and the community have changed. Um, so. Toby, as you describe the community changing and you describe um, this notion of consensus building and, uh, you know, continuing this conversation about the diversity on the inside of the community, I'm wondering about how people might relate to the community of pride, the community of the Equality Center, maybe from the outside in. I'm thinking about a parent whose uh, child comes out to them or a ally who uh, uh, struggles to um, uh, keep up with um, changing language and changing notions of identity. Um, is there a difference in the conversation that happens inside the Equality Center, that debate you had over um, adding Q um, that happens within the community versus what conversations um, or how those conversations unfold, um, maybe outside the community or amongst allies or amongst people who might not hold the identity in the same way um, as, as, as people who might call, uh, call themselves members of Oklahomans for Equality. So, Dan, help me here. What was the question in that? Uh, I so, mean, that's yeah, like you've got um, you, you've got out this world of allies who follow the complex world of Oklahomans for equality. Who might uh, you know? I I I. I uh, fairly regularly find myself in conversations with parents who have a kid who's come out and who are trying to understand 
what non-binary means and trying to make sense of it all. And people for whom maybe they, 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 they counted themselves as allies before this, right? They counted themselves. This was, is not coming from a place of um, maybe more ignorance than anything else. Um, but, 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 but struggle to, to, to navigate the conversations. Is there a place for ally? I guess maybe the question is, is there a place for allies in the conversation that the community has about itself or um, are allies best to be in a place looking in and following and taking the lead of the community itself? So statistically, um, I, it may be, I, I'm not sure I want to say the insiders and the outsiders, but we'll just say for our purpose of this conversation, people who are a part of the community, you know, does that mean, they are, um, you know, identify as LGBTQ plus. So first of all, let me address that. Statistically, um, of our, right now, I think we're almost at 39,000 members of Oklahomans for Equality. I would say of that 39,000, statistically, I can tell you that half of those members would be straight allies. The staff um, is almost evenly divided. We've got half of the staff are heterosexual straight allies. Mm -hmm. Our board, um, our bylaws require that there be representation and it specifically uh, says that there has to be um, people uh, who identify as allies or heterosexual is straight, because we consider that a sexual orientation too. Everybody has a sexual orientation and everybody has a gender identity. So, you know, even that heterosexual, I mean, we're real, maybe we just need to add LGBTQ H or cisgender, or, you know, we maybe need to add another acronym that we've accidentally left out. Um, but so among our volunteers, I would say it's almost 50 50-50. A lot of our volunteers who volunteer for us, especially on the helpline, um, not so much facilitating the programs, but certainly the helpline, if you were to call, there's a 50% chance that you're going to get a bona fide heterosexual answering the phone because they either have, they're there because they have friends, family members, or they just feel a passion to do this work. And, um, so a lot of our social programming is very open-ended. Like most of our sports teams, uh, we really don't have, you don't have to be a certified homosexual to play on our softball team. You can, you can be a cisgender heterosexual person and play on our softball team or our girls football team or stuff like that. Um, we have lots of music and art programs. And so lots of our artists and lots of our uh, theater performances and lots of our entertainers who uh, do things at the center uh, would be just allies who support our work uh, and find comfort there. Uh, we don't have a single program. I mean, in our youth program, we have uh, students who are there because they're their friends or family are LGBT. We have in our seniors group, it's the same way. Um, 
It, yeah, but if you went to our library, it only has queer-themed LGBT books because I don't have room for everything else. And we feel like those are the books that legislators are trying to ban. And, you know, we want to make sure you can find them in Tulsa. And uh, when we went through this recent legislative attack where a bill was introduced that was going to ban LGBTQ thin books from our schools and possibly our libraries, our membership went on a buying spree. And we have about 40 boxes of some of those banned books. We probably are personally responsible for Amazon's its a bestseller list that happened in the book ban discussion. Um, so certainly families who have children who they uh, find out that their child or, or maybe think, identified themselves, that their child is gender diverse, gender expansive, is um, possibly, you know, lesbian or gay or bisexual. Uh, we have those families contact us. We don't have a day that we don't have them contact us. We have youth ministers and rabbis and um, school counselors and HR professionals from companies call us every day wanting to refer individuals to us. I had a conversation with a company that will be sponsoring Pride this year for the very first time. They have an employee resource group. She told me it was kind of funny because she goes, we're going to be at Pride for the first time. She said, it's going to be our employee resource group. She said, to my knowledge, there's not any gay people in that group. All of us are a bunch of straight allies. And we just feel like that our company should have that, that support uh, for its employees. And we feel like it's important that we should be at Pride. And we got our company to be a sponsor. And um, she, she asked me specifically today, Will it be all right if all we have working our booth are straight people? And I said, well, certainly it will. And she said, well, we just want you to know we're there to support the community. So we will take any help we can get, but we also really work hard to make sure um, everybody's welcome there. I mean, obviously, you know, if you don't know how to identify as a lesbian, you probably don't want to be in the lesbian programming. Um, if you don't identify as a gay man, you're probably not going to want to go to the gay men's, great gay men's dinner group. So we do have some programs like that that uh, are really designed for a specific purpose. We're not really going to exclude you, but, you know, you're not going to find what you're um, looking for. But a lot of our programming is is very um, open to everybody and their families. I mean, that's the way Pride is. It's Pride, Pride Festival. Um, you know, I've worked on every parade in Tulsa. Um, I started out when I came out as gay. I went to them and wanted to get involved, and they didn't know what to make of me. Here was this uh, religiously conservative, politically conservative persons that people kind of knew from TV occasionally because of the work I did with the elected official that I work with. And so I guess there was some suspicion and they didn't really know what to do with me. So they said, well, here's what you can help us with. We need somebody to clean the porta potties and pick up trash at pride. And oh, I felt trial by fire. Yeah. I felt so, um, Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, oh, okay, great. And I'm telling you what I did for two or three years. 
Those were the cleanest porta potties <laughs> and those parks were spotless. And, um, and then they began to feel like they could trust me that I really was gay. I wasn't a plant. I wasn't a, and so I will tell you, uh, 20, 20 plus years ago, we were a little more uh, unsure about why somebody would be hanging around and helping us. Um, but here we are going to have our 23rd year of our pride festival be actually our 40th anniversary of our pride picnic. Um, but, uh, today in our, you know, among our sponsors and the people that are going to be in the parade, it is so heavily made up of allies who are wanting to support the community companies who want to go on the record that they're here to support us. And they believe in inclusion faith community. You know, this year we've got a couple of new congregations that are going to be marching with us. Um, I find that the ability to, um, include more people. Uh, we it, like today we were having a discussion on our staff and one of our staff persons made the comment. She goes, well, you know, I wasn't, when I first came to work here, <clears throat> I wasn't real sure I would be, um, welcome. I was concerned that I might have a little trouble fitting in. And we all just looked at her and said, why? And she goes, well, you know, because I'm not a member of the community. And one of the other staff person says, well, I don't want to be in a community where you're not. And <laughs> that was very sweet um, that they said, no, you, I want to be in the community you're at. I, I'm not worried about, do you fit in my community? I want to be in the community you're at. That's how much I love you. And so that's what we've tried to do is um, we, we want to be uh, open to you because we want to be able to participate <laughs> in a greater society where we don't necessarily, I mean, it's not that our goal is to eventually uh, say there are no queer spaces, but our goal is for us to be able to be more integrated into our, just our overall community. Um, so I hope that, yeah, helps. no, yeah. that really, that really helps. And I want to describe really quickly, um, just for our listener group, uh, a little game we're playing on social media this month. Um, uh, some of you may know, or uh, we're encouraging people to discover the fact that there is a unicorn hidden, uh, not hidden, decorating the synagogue somewhere. If you can figure out where that is and you can send us an, either an email or a message on our Facebook or our Instagram account, we have little rainbow unicorn buttons that, we're, that we've had made uh, uh, for the purpose of pride. And so if you hear this message or you've seen it on uh, on Facebook, uh, go check out our Instagram. You'll see the picture of the unicorn and see if you can identify where that is at Congregation B'nai Muna. Let us know and we'll make sure you get your pride button. Rabbi. So we, could we talk a little bit more about kids? I think one of the strengths of the Equality Center is the attention it pays to kids who are coming out, kids who are asking questions about gender identity, kids who are saying that they are not who they seem to be or not who they have been, at least publicly all along, and they are ready to explore a, a different way of living in the world. 
I, I wonder if you saw the article in the New York Times this past week about an upsurge of kids who are declaring themselves, I'm not sure I even have the language to say this just as I should, but candidates for participation in the trans community. How do you understand this development? Why now? And is the world that you have helped to lead responding in a way that we should know more about? I did read the article and, um, you know, I took issue with some of it. I, I read the New York times articles every day. So it's not the first time I've taken issue with it. Um, so the, the first thing that I took issue with, uh, was that this was a new surge. And I it did acknowledge in the article that also there's now a more public willingness to identify uh, as trans, to be open about that, whereas before there would have been, there probably wouldn't have been the cultural visibility. And certainly on transgender issues, uh, I could, used to could not get the media to cover any kind of transgender issues. I mean, they just wouldn't do it. And we would have... Me and a, a group at the center started the uh, annual observance of the International Day of Transgender Remembrance, where we acknowledge the persons who are trans who've been murdered that year from November to November. And um, we could not get Tulsa Media to cover those stories, anything associated with transgender persons. And it was because of this, uh, this uncomfortableness uh, with covering that subject. And then there was credible uh, journalist who was with the Tulsa world and she decided to uh, reach out to Dr. Laura Errol Smith, who was on our board and was kind of overseeing our developing transgender programs. And um, Laura made her aware of young people that we had and she introduced her to Katie Hill and her family who were, she came as a student at Bixby. And so this uh, journalist and I felt horrible because this is embarrassing. I can't remember her name right now, but she wrote um, an article on Katie Hill, who was a student at Bixby High School and was uh, transitioning. Um, you know, she was identifying as female and uh, was attending school at Bixby High School, and the article appeared on Mother's Day. Uh, Tulsa World got all sorts of hate, hate letters, and then they followed the child. Uh, 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 a year later, when she graduated from Bixby High School, that was the front page of the Tulsa World on Mother's Day again. And, you know, she went to TU, and uh, I was just talking to her this week. She now lives in another state. Um, but uh, that was to our knowledge, so we claim this, that she was the first openly transgender high school student um, in Oklahoma history. Um, and that same year, we had a student graduate from Owasa and... Um, Bishop Kelly High School, and the 
they all graduated the same year, but she had been the first visible one. They had sold her story the year before. And so this would have been, good Lord, that's been eight, ten years ago. And from that moment on, Tulsa Media began to be more comfortable discussing the stories. And what I saw a shift, certainly among transgender people in our community who, who were involved in our organization, a brave resilience that they were finally going to have to be visible uh, for people to understand these issues. And so, you know, our present mayor was a city councilor, and he introduced non-discrimination bill back when he was on the city council, uh, which now is almost, you know, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, actually. And um, he introduced that bill. Um, and at the last moment, he became uncomfortable with the trans inclusion portion of it um, because he had worked at a company that had a, had a kind of a negative experience. So he pulled that portion of it. But then as soon as he became mayor, he added by executive order the protections and the non-discrimination uh, portion that, uh, and, you know, had the city change its insurance so that its insurance would uh, cover uh, medical uh, services for trans persons. So 13 years ago, there was an uncomfortableness with this enough that it stalled out uh, discrimination policies advancing for the city of Tulsa, which the national LGBT movement called us out for. And I got lots of hate mail uh, because they accused me of leaving trans people behind. And it wasn't me that did it. And it was our transgender leaders at the time who felt like we still needed to advance with the non-discrimination policy based on sexual orientation because everybody has a sexual orientation. And so we chose to do that. Uh, and then eventually Tulsa, now this is what Tulsa has done. They do everything kind of incrementally a little bit at a time, um, which I'm not so sure is always the best idea but it's how we do it. And so I've learned uh, to work within it. Um, quick explanation of this, I was working for an elected official, that elected official fired me. And so then I kind of got passed around the Tulsa County Courthouse to multiple elected officials before finally I landed in the office of Sally House Smith, court clerk's office. And the very first day in the office, I got assigned to a division where they do the name changes. And um, so now this was back in the 90s. And so they were showing me how to do petitions for name changes and the clerk was kind of rushing through it. And then she said, and now I'm gonna show you how to do a petition uh, for somebody. And this was her word. She said, who's gonna have a sex change. And I was just astounded. And I said to her, you have people that do that here? and um, you know, I'm a gay man. I didn't really know anything about, uh, you know, uh, sex changes or gender confirmation surgeries or being trans. I didn't really know anything about that. And I just said, you have people that do that here? And she just looked at me and pointed her finger at me. And she goes, yes. And you better be careful what you say or how you handle this. Because if this, this court clerk, if she finds out that you're asking intrusive questions or you're making fun of somebody or you're being 
mean to them, you'll be fired immediately. Now, that's what I learned in the 90s. And so then she showed me how to do the petitions. And I will never forget this experience because she showed me how to do the petitions. And I thought, well, they're identical. And she said, exactly. And I said, well, do you have many people who come here uh, to file a petition because they're transitioning um, to use our, you know, language today or have a sex change. And she looked at me and I will never forget this. She said about three a week. (laughs) And I said three a week. Now that was in the nineties. And I continued to work for that court system uh, for an additional 15 years. And I can tell you that that was true. Eventually I became the appeals clerk for the Oklahoma Supreme court. I had to work on name change cases where some judges sometime, maybe not necessarily in the Tulsa County area, but they refused to do a name change for a transgender person. Oklahoma Supreme court would strike, you know, reprimand them and say, you know, this is a person's right to be able to do this. And um, so in the 1990s in Tulsa County, there was many on an average two to three people a week who were going in to change their names or their gender markers associated with their transitioning. My point for this story is it is more common than you and I even realize because really the only way you end up knowing is if they are visible and tell you, and that's what we're seeing. And I feel like the New York times article made reference to that, that there's more visibility about it. Um, And, you know, there's athletes and politicians and actors and prominent people uh, who have raised that visibility for us to have that discussion. Toby, thank you so much. I mean, that, that answers in, in particular, but, but, but for this entire conversation um, as a, as a way of helping us explore so many questions that we can talk about um, when it comes to uh, having open, honest, and, um, and, and meaningful uh, discourse around what it means to engage in this month of pride and, uh, what it means to be part of this community. I, I, I know at least I was listening to some of your answers about diversity and community with a lens of thinking about the community that 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 I live in and the diversity that I that I inhabit um, uh, Jewishly. Um, but I want to I want to thank you uh, for for being a rabbi uh, to us and to our community. Um, you know, you call us your rabbi. Uh, I think we can, we can, we can return the favor. Uh, for our for our listeners, I want to remind you of that social media game we're playing. If you if you find the unicorn or can identify where that unicorn is in the synagogue, let us know and, and we'll make sure you get uh, your uh, your marker, your your badge, your your pin for um, this month. Um, but uh, I want to conclude, uh, Toby, by uh, by thanking you not only for this conversation but for your service to the to the Tulsa community at large over these past many years. I 
know, um, it, we, we now refer to you as the outgoing executive director. And I know you're on to new adventures and, 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 and new chapters, um, but it is an honor to lead community alongside you, um, to have stood at protests, um, to have comforted community together, um, to pray together, um, uh, to eat together and to celebrate together. And, and I also want to wish you a meaningful um, and, uh, and, and purposeful uh, pride, last pride um, as executive director. I hope um, you don't have to uh, clean the porter potties uh, this time. If you want to, I guess, I mean, it's yeah. your, it's your show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Friends, thank you all for joining us uh, tonight. We want to wish you a, a, a sub Sabbath of peace. Um, if you have uh, want more information about the Oklahoma Quality Center, um, you can find uh, that on their website, on their social media, or by simply stopping by, saying hi, and uh, popping into that gift store. Um, take care, everyone. Many thanks for being with us, and we'll look forward to seeing you all uh, together real soon. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Thank you, Toby. Thank you, Toby.